did you growing up or even still, did you ever think like, oh, they're going to get a cure for this. I'll be fine. Or were you just like, no, this is my reality. And I'm just going to, it's just coming and I, and I have to deal with that. My motto in life truly is low expectations and high hopes. I am fully, I have fully accepted my path to losing my vision and I'm okay with it as best as I can be. This is the interesting lives of normal people. Growing up, I had an aunt who was blind since birth. So for most of my life, I can remember just wrestling with the idea of blindness and what that experience would be like. But can you imagine being able to see for most of your life and then having that slowly ripped away? In this episode, we talk with Lindsay Blankenship, who as Ryan Holdman describes as experiencing the slow march toward not being able to see. A slow march towards not being able to see because she has a genetic disorder that's making her slowly lose her sight and will one day result in complete blindness. In this conversation, Lindsay talks about her journey with that slow march, but instead of wallowing in misfortune, she's boldly embracing it and learning to thrive. She's also using it to build an online community for people with all types of limitations with her website, thrivewithdisability.com. A quick side note, we do mention this website a lot and her blog that tells her full story. If you have the time, I'd highly recommend checking that out as it will provide a bit more context to this conversation. It's also just an incredible story that's worth the read. Lindsay has an astounding perspective on life and parenting as a person with a disability. She also has some great advice for interacting with disabled people, and she emphasizes the importance of allowing yourself to be uncomfortable because discomfort allows us to grow. Those are just a few things we talk about, but everything she has to say is just so valuable. As her site suggests, the theme of her life is to live courageously and to thrive with her disability, and she's helping others do the same. Lindsay Blankenship, welcome to this podcast episode. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you? I am doing good. I've been very, very excited to chat with you. Ryan and Ryan are as well. Yeah, they're there. <laughs> and one thing to call out is that it's Lindsay Blankenship, also Lindsay Siegel on your blog. And so you might you might find Lindsay in two different, uh, a few different ways. But Lindsay has like a super interesting story. We're going to focus a lot on disabilities. Of course, we want to get into that. But even go back maybe further, just give us a kind of a quick rundown of your experience, a quick biography. Who is Lindsay? The Cliff's Notes version. I love it. Yeah. Okay. So I am a Denver native, born and raised here. Went to Cherry Creek High School. And then after high school, I went to University of Oregon and I studied journalism. And I was a radio DJ for a few years. And then I lived in Chicago, back in Oregon, and then eventually found my way back to Denver, where then I did a huge career leap and was a massage therapist and in the fitness industry for eight years. And then I did some event planning for nonprofits. Then now I'm just mainly at home. I have two young boys, seven and four, and volunteer a lot of my time with a couple of different organizations. And and I have my uh, website and blog Thrive with Disability. So there's kind of the general background of what, yeah. what's the difference between a nonprofit event and a for-profit event is one boring and one normal. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> the for-profit is very boring. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks. And, yeah. and then the you nonprofit is very interesting. All right. <laughs> um, and you also mentioned that you were a DJ. How are our mm -hmm. voices? Like, how are we doing? They are great, with, actually. With the microphones. Right. Do you yeah, like our they're microphones? Really, they're really good. You guys, yeah, you guys sound great. Yeah, that's important. Oh. Okay. And so obviously, you know, Thrive with Disability, kind of the, the I don't know how to just to say it, so I'll let you handle it, but kind of the visual disability is a, is a large part of your story. And so if we could go back to yes. kind of, because reading your blog, I mean, you have an amazing story on your, on your blog. Like I was in tears reading it, literally. And so maybe kind of go back a little bit and talk to us and put us in more context of, sure. of how that comes into play and affects, has affected your, really your whole life. Yeah. So I have a rare genetic eye disease called retinitis pigmentosa, which in the vision community is RP for short. And I was diagnosed when I was six years old and it does run in my family. So it started with my grandmother and she passed it down to my father. And then he passed it down to both me and my little brother. And basically it affects your retina, which is, consists of your rods and cones. So it's the back of your eye. And slowly but surely, I like to describe it as like a forest fire in your eye. So slowly but surely, it just burns down all of your rods and cones, leaving you blind. And so another like keywords that people might know it as is like tunnel vision, though I don't really love that term. So your peripheral vision slowly goes inward and night blindness is a big, a big thing as well. So, so that is my disability. And I am lucky that mine is very slow to progress. So I still have a fair amount of sight left, but definitely notice changes as I get older. What, what, what kind of changes? And do they happen? Do you see changes frequently? These are kind of two questions, but yeah. maybe ask the first. What kind of changes? So for me, it is peripheral. Like that's where I notice the most. So my four-year-old, you know, is tall for four, but he is under my sight line for my lower part of my vision. So if he runs past me, I have to almost like look around and do like a full 18362, catch him in my eyesight, in my eye line. And I definitely notice more at night too. So I would say, I don't know, maybe even seven, five years ago, I could, depending on how well lit, you know, the situation I was in, I could still get around at night. And now I have a really hard time my husband actually gets really mad at me, even if I try on my own. So to a person that doesn't know me, it doesn't seem like they're big changes, but living in my own body, they are significant changes. What was the, the moment you were like diagnosed? What was that like? Did you already know that it was likely you had it or how's that? I feel like this is a big piece of news to get in one's life. Yeah. You know, I was six. And so I don't right. think I really understood. Okay. I don't think I really, I knew that my grandmother was pretty much at that point blind. I, I knew that it wasn't necessarily good, but at six, I really didn't comprehend right. what, what that meant for me. And my dad, you know, it runs differently in females versus males. So his, Hmm. he's, he's, he was able to drive. My grandmother and I have, were never able to drive. So I never got my driver's license. So yes, <laughs> vision loss wasn't a forefront on my mind, probably until I was off on my own in college. I mean, there was definitely moments growing up where there was like a, 
it's like, oh, I am definitely different than everybody else. Man, I have a lot of questions. So, Wait, do you, yeah. real quick, but do you remember when you said you didn't know, like, really comprehended six? Was there mm -hmm. a, was there like a big moment where it became real, or, or is it sort of just was it so, I guess, like progressing sort of slowly that you, it just, you, there isn't a big moment. So, well, I will say this that in third grade, my mom. I, I don't really understand even looking back her reasoning behind it. She hired like a, a visual specialist for me to help me in the classroom, even though at that point I didn't need help in the classroom whatsoever. But I think she wanted people to maybe understand. So I will never forget this. Literally, she came in and talked to my third grade class. I am mortified, mortified. Oh and she had everyone pair up. And half the class had to put blindfolds on and their partner had to lead them around the school. And I was oh mortified because one, I wasn't blind, not even close to being blind. And so they're not experiencing what I'm experiencing, like not even close. And oh, it was so embarrassing. And so I will say that maybe that was a, a moment for me, but I, almost like it gave it a very negative connotation, you know, mm. like, but that was very eye-opening for sure. It was very extreme. Ironically, it was quite eye-opening. <laughs> yeah, ironically, it was eye-opening. Some kids were like, man, it's weird. She always kicks our butt at soccer, but <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> you can't even find a way around school. Yeah. I have never seen anyone do that since. Like, Yeah, I can only think of like a couple of pinatas in my life. I have a question about, did you growing up or even still did you ever think like, oh, they're going to get a cure for this. Like, I'll be fine. Or were you just like, no, this is my reality. And I'm just going to, it's just coming. And I, and I have to deal with that. My motto in life truly is low expectations and high hopes. So no, I do not expect there to be a cure. Am I hopeful that there is something to maybe not necessarily cure it, but make it um, better? Yes, absolutely but I don't like to set myself up. I don't want false hope. I don't want to set myself up thinking, yeah, this is definitely going to happen. And then I'm 70 and, ha and it hasn't. And I'm bitter about that. So I am fully, I have fully accepted uh, my path to losing my vision and I'm okay with it wow. as best as I can be. So when you're describing like the actual experience, so like as I'm looking through these glasses this is your field of view like if you imagine like the edge of your glasses yes is that kind of like not that's really yes. all you can see i would say maybe like three inches outside of my head and then low lower it is really interesting too going to the eye doctor every year medical professionals kill me, but they know what I have. And I, I went just, when I just went this last year, she, the practitioner who brought me in, it wasn't the doctor, the doctor would not do that, but she's like, okay, I'm going to do a little, they call it like a field test to see your visual field. But the problem is, is that she had the lights off and she's like moving her finger around. And I literally like, I'm like, you know, this test might actually be more accurate if I could see period. <laughs> She's like, you've passed the test. <laughs> yeah, like, Let's get her out of here. She passed. You're literally setting me up to fail. Just turn on the light. <laughs> it's just um, lack of common sense sometimes. It's just pretty funny. 
so when you so when you said that like you know you notice a change i'm curious like mm-hmm. is it changes like do you notice something weekly is it yearly like when is it how often would you say it's like you notice something is like reduced or different or I, I, oh that's such a tough question because i feel like for me it's a long period of enough small changes to equal a big change for me so I guess a good example would be like for me, depth perception through the years, I grew up skiing, but I think there was maybe a year I hadn't gone in the next year I went and going between the light and like, it was a sunny day, but there was definitely shadows. And it took me so long to get down the hill because there had been such a change in my vision with depth, depth perception that it was just not, it kind of took the way the fun of it because I was so concentrated on shadow versus light so it really sometimes i almost have to be taken away from a situation and then brought back in to be like whoa yeah there's definitely some changes and i think for me peripherally i do notice more and more now because it is progressing whereas before it was so much slower there wasn't much to notice Mm. but it is happening i hear between when you're 40 and 50 you notice a big change apparently so i'm 41 i think it's same with i think it's same with knees on yeah, and then backs, all joints, yeah, yeah. anything. <laughs> so it's, I mean, it seems like probably one of the things you've experienced more than the average person is significant change. Because mm-hmm. even, I mean, like your side changes, but also I'm guessing that there's more adjusting to say you move to a new house or move to a mm-hmm. new city or whatever. What do you, and obviously you're only yourself, but what, what would be the like, what are the characteristics of you and change? Like, what are the things you've learned about change or adapting that maybe the average person hasn't had as much experience with? Yeah, I will say that it's all about adapting. And with any disability health condition that's, you know, comes and goes or is ever changing, it's a, it's a constant in your life. So I feel like I just kind of am riding the wave and there's going to be highs and there's going to be lows to it. And I don't know what changes I'm going to need till I get to that moment. Mm. And so I just have to be able to adapt, really be open to expressing my needs, which has taken me a really long time to get to that point. I am terrible at that and asking for help and exploring my options on how to stay the independent woman that I want to be. Mm. So I definitely handle change. Well, Mm. I really do. And it really is just when you are getting, just when I'm getting used to something, I feel like something changes. And so you have to adapt all over again. You yeah. said that your husband, Ryan, has to take you, or he doesn't, sorry, he doesn't like you. I can't remember what, mm-hmm. you, what you said specifically, getting around by yourself. Well, he doesn't like me. Yeah. But what does that, night, what does that yeah. mean? Like around your house or around like the neighborhood or like, what do you mean? Well, even around, no, even around the neighborhood. I mean, our neighborhood is really dark. Yes. Very dark. I mean, there's not a lot of light in the neighborhood at night. And like this summer I was at a neighbor's house and I brought a flashlight and I'm, I thought to myself, I'll just walk myself home. I have a really good memory. I memorize things really well, especially where I am. And so I'm like, I will navigate the streets fine. I will walk home. And what I've noticed is as my sight has decreased, if there's not enough light, I can tend to get confused and turned around, even in places that I know. So as I was walking down the main road, 
on my way to home, I thought I was at the T where I needed to turn. And I turned one street too early and it was a cul-de-sac and I just got so discombobulated. Mm -hmm. And so I just was like, all right, I'm going to have to call Ryan and he's going to have to, I mean, it was like 11 o'clock at night. And so I think for him, it's more of like, you know, he doesn't want to see me get harmed or put myself in harm's way. And he also gets annoyed with my stubbornness, which is a lot of people in my life. So I think for him, it's just more of like, okay, I understand you want your, your independence, but there has to be a safe way to do that as well. Fortunately, Ryan's are really helpful. So <laughs> they are. Jake's, Jake's not so much. Um, I have a few things kind of related to in the reading in your blog. So, see, I have some experience with, you know, some personal experience with people I'm close with that not at all a similar disability or a medical issue, but just the feeling of like aloneness and the feeling like mm -hmm. no one understands what I'm going through. Like really no one, no one gets it. Could, could you maybe elaborate on, on that? And like, even yeah. just kind of like day to day. And you even mentioned in your, your blog about your story, talking about how you bump into people into the grocery store and how you've gotten used to that from at least when you wrote that blog, it's mm -hmm. like it. So like little things like that, like, so actually people not understanding what you're doing when you bump into them on accident, just versus also having people have no clue what it is like to go through what you're going through. And to yeah, live with that every sure. day. I would love to kind of hear just kind of like your thoughts and your feelings on the alone factor. Yeah. You know, I'm in an interesting position because uh, obviously there have been times where I feel very alone and I think the ironic part about that is I have family members who share the same thing I do, right? but we handle it in very, very different ways. And so it has been easy to feel alone because I can't communicate with them the way that I would like to about our shared condition. So hmm. I uh, think that, you know, I guess I'm used to when I'm out in public because people will cut into where I can't see in my peripheral, um, bumping into people or whatever. And they look at me like I'm the asshole <laughs> really <laughs> for not paying attention. And Joke's so, on you. I yeah, I guess in some ways I've gotten used to it. And to a point now, I just don't even like going into like grocery stores because it's more stressful than it is enjoyable because I have to be so cautious and I'm working on something so that I don't feel that way anymore. But, you know, it is. And, and, or if I do go into stores and I'm looking at a price tag and these price tags are really small. So I look at it very closely and oh, the line of like, Oh man, you're, you know, have you looked into getting glasses? I just, I'm like, yeah, I sure have. <laughs> Never heard just, of them. Never heard of them. That's, <laughs> Just the things people I don't need will glasses. say. I can see just yeah, fine. Right, exactly. So, I mean, do I blame people? No, because they don't understand. They have no idea. Are there things that I could do, tools I could use to let people know that I do have trouble seeing? Yes. And as Ryan likes to say, he's like, let them be the asshole for the change, you know? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're right. Let them. <laughs> That's, it is interesting. It feels like we all we all are kind of unaware of the things that we are unaware of, I guess. And then mm -hmm. encountering a moment where you realize, Oh, you know, like I hadn't thought about someone yeah. having trouble seeing or whatever. And yeah. it is good to have those, like, you know, your reality rocked a bit 
and yeah. just grow, grow your empathy, grow your understanding of that. There's people, there are experiences out there that are not yours. Yeah. And, and I think actually the other thing to think about is, I mean, one out of every 10 people has an end of invisible disability or health condition. Yeah. And that's a lot of people. So you're walking around people every day who have something going on with them internally, their health, a disability. And it's so easy just to look at them and judge or be like, oh man, like, you know, it's so easy to do that. And you just never know what people are going through on the inside. You just have no idea. And I, I do feel sad, I mean, especially right now in our world. I just feel like there's such a lack of empathy and kindness. Everyone's in such a hurry to get to where they need to go. I mean, you like freaking go to Costco, for example, like no one's paying attention to where they're going. All they care about is getting their meat and running around the store like crazy people. And that's one of the reasons of this podcast is that we want to remind people that they're assholes. (laughs) Really? Yeah, there's a lot of assholes out there. No, it is funny. And it's cool. You actually bring up the Costco thing because I'm definitely the person I'm like dodging and weaving. And I'm like, I have two kids right here. You don't understand what my life is like. It's like, like, actually, you're a pretty able-bodied person. So you're maybe slow down. And I, I <laughs> notice myself doing that sometimes. You're like, you gotta, you gotta kind of stop literally running through Costco. <laughs> yeah. I, so I was curious, just as we we're kind of talking about, you said one in 10 people have a disability. Mm-hmm. Can you unpack the word disability for us? Like, I, I think that's a word that has a lot of different points of view on it. And I'm curious if you could just give us your point of view and maybe what's your understanding of like the larger perspective on that. Sure. You know, as I've done Thrive, I've come to find out that disability is like a terrible word. It's like differently abled because we're still abled bodies. We're just like everyone, how our strengths lie in different places. And so I kind of view it almost as a limit, like there's a limitation. It's that's the word that I like to describe, but that's the word I use more than disability. I have a limitation. I have a visual limitation because I am limited in what I can see. Does that mean that I am not an able person to do other things? No. So I think, you know, I think it's come to have such a negative connotation, like calling someone disabled is very much frowned upon. No, it's like, no, you, they are differently able. They are limited in this certain area of what they can do. I personally don't view it as a negative thing. I do have a disability. I do have a disadvantage, if you will, in an aspect of my life, mm-hmm. but it doesn't define me as a person. It just defines one aspect of my life. Mm-hmm. I think that identity, it's a question I, I wanted to ask you about. <clears throat> yeah. Did you, at what point did you start identifying as disabled? And and was that a, was that a barrier or was there a hurdle to get over there for, for yourself? Or it was just like, no, this is me. And and that's okay. Oh yeah, definitely lots of hurdles. I think more emotional than physical, to be honest, because the physical side of it has been so slow, but the emotional grieving side of it definitely has been a big piece. And, you know, I really have met two different kinds of people who have a disability or a health condition. And there are those who deal with it and face it and move forward and those that hide from it. And I did not want to be a person that hid from it. And so as hard as it has been to unpack that emotional baggage or grief that comes with it, I just knew that I had, I, I just, I had to do it for myself and my family because I just, I didn't want to carry that around forever. When was the moment? I mean, I'm curious, like kind of age wise and place in life when you kind of decided to start owning it. Yeah. I, I really do think it's when I got pregnant with my oldest son. 
I knew that I would have to start asking for more help. And in order to do that, I'd have to be really real with myself as to what that looked like, because I was in, an, in some ways still very stubborn. I will do it. I will figure it out on my own. I don't need anybody. I've got this. Like, I will do it. And at the time we lived in downtown Denver and I didn't drive and I needed to ask for help. And so in order to do that, I just had to really come to terms with what that looked like and getting over it, if you will. And then also I just, in that moment, I did feel alone. Like I don't know any other mom. They don't, they don't have to have a, a visual disability, but I don't know any parent that has any kind of condition or, or disability. And I feel like I'm venturing into this very much alone. And so I really wanted to be open with myself so that I could meet others and feel a sense of community. That was really important to me. I'm curious, like what, like on a daily basis, how much does it consume your thoughts? Is it just something that it's like, you think about constantly? Is it something you think about a couple times a day? I'm just kind of curious, like what the mental experience is with it. There are days I don't think about it at all. And then there are definitely those waves of emotion that hit me. Sometimes if I'm really thinking about something of like, I need to do this, how am I going to do it? Or sometimes things surprise me where it does consume me for a day. But I'm definitely one of those people that after I deal with the emotion, I let it go and I move forward. And then the next day I don't think about it. You mentioned searching for a community. Mm-hmm. And I think, I, well, one, the, the one expression of that I know so far is your, your website, thrivewithdisability.com. And I'm curious to hear a little bit about that journey in that search. And also just want to know like how incredible the era we live in is where there's this internet medium to go find people that you have things in common with differently than location. And Mm -hmm. so you can go find, you know, parents who are, who are wrestling with similar things, whatever those are and start the community. But tell us a little bit about starting a community. How's that gone? What are some of the inspiring things that have come out of that, that have helped you, you know, get encouraged to keep encouraging? Yes. Yeah. You know, I kind of hit for myself, an emotional bottom. I went, oh, maybe like four years ago. I just hit a place where I'm like, I am desperate to find people who can really relate. I mean, I have been a part of the Foundation Fighting Blindness for a few years, and I'm heavily involved in that organization. And, but it's, and, and on that side of things, it's wonderful because there's a great people, every one of those people is dealing with what I'm dealing with. And so there's definitely like, I get it and you know, they get it. But for me, that wasn't big enough. I wanted to go bigger because I just wanted parents to feel like they had a safe place to be authentic and to be real and to share those raw emotions because that's something I feel like that is really hard for people to do. I don't care who you are. I have found that it is very interesting and sad to me how intimidating it is to share your feelings, Mm. really any person and be really raw and real with those feelings. So I just was like, I want to build that community. I want to build a safe place where people can do that. And then we can educate others on what it is really like. And so I knew that in order for me to ask others to do that, I had to do that. And that was probably one of the hardest things I have ever done. 
writing my story on there. Oh, that like tore my heart out. (laughs) It was, I get emotional thinking about it. It was, it was heart wrenching. I really had to dive deep. It really kind of felt like an out of body experience. Was it the putting it out there, like the publishing it, or was it even like you were processing it? All of it. You hadn't, okay. All of it. It was really like, what is it okay to say and what is it not okay to say? That wasn't a personal thing. It was like my family, not my family, like my parents, you know, like what is it okay to say and what is it not? I really just had to step outside of myself and be like, well, fuck it. I just have to do yeah. this, right? right? If this is my mission, I have to do it. So right. it was, it was, yeah. And I will say yes. And there was the other part of it of sh- one thing was writing it and the other yeah. thing was sharing it. It was probably the scariest thing I've ever done. Like really letting yeah. people see, see me. And it was actually more scary to, to have the people that have known me for a long time than it was strangers. Mm. And I, it was very eye-opening because I had more people than not say to me, Lindsay, I've known you for X many years and I feel like I know you better than I ever have. Mm. I never knew this about you. And that really showed me how closed off I had been. After posting that, I kind of had a couple months where I just was really struggling emotionally. It was like climbing out of a well is what I'd like to describe it. And once I did, I I felt so much better because of all the amazing positive feedback I got, which I wasn't looking for that. That wasn't, that's never the point. And it really did help pave the way for others to see that this is what I wanted to do. Like, this is my, this is my passion. And it has been such, Thrive has been such a gift. I mean, I don't regret my eye condition because I wouldn't have met any of these amazing people. Mm. I never would have. And each one, their story just blows me away. They really does. And it really puts things, even my life into perspective. And so I am just really thankful. It's, it's brought me a lot of joy and, and a heartache, but I feel like I've grown so much as a person because of Thrive and the people that have contributed. I imagine just the, the freedom that it brings you and probably a lot of people is probably one of the biggest parts of it is that it's mm-hmm. not just, correct me if I'm wrong. It's probably not just about, Hey, we all want to, we want community, but we also, there's something in the process of actually just letting that go. And just the freedom that it brings must be a common experience among people. Absolutely. Dealing with the kind of things you're dealing with. Yeah, absolutely. Because it is freeing. I always tell people when they're writing something, you know, it helps to think you're like you're writing a letter to yourself or in your journal, like just write what you really feel. And then you can go back and look it over. But most of the times they just send what they initially wrote, because that is the truest form. And every single person has let, has said, oh, my gosh, that was so such a cathartic experience. I didn't realize that I had all of that in me until I wrote it down. Hmm. So people have had like lots of the same experience you have. Yes. Wow. Yes. And you know, it's brought, I've had not just people who are directly affected, but family members who like, you know, I have had a daughter write a story about her dad who suffers from Usher syndrome, which he's losing his sight and his hearing and her writing writing her story or her perspective growing up with her father she wrote to me personally and said it brought one of the most intimate 
best conversations we have ever had as a family about this. Huh. And that to me was like, I'm, I'm like, I don't need to do any more like that. That was amazing. Just to hear stuff like that. It makes it all worth it. And that was one of my questions is that like, what do you want thrive to be? But maybe the better question is thrive exactly what you want it to be. I mean, are you, do you want it to be bigger? And when I say bigger, like a, an organization or do you really just, is it, has it reached the exact goal of what you want it to be? And um, I don't think so. I am actually, yeah, definitely. I, I really want to continue opening people's eyes because it is pretty amazing how many people have no idea, you know, everything that's out there and how could you, I, I mean, I wouldn't, I would never know, but just kind of like, like we were talking about being open-minded, being open to what others are experiencing in their life. And I feel like we're so closed off as a society. So I think it's just opening people's eyes and educating them. And I know, I don't think my work is not even close to being done with that. So I have thought about making Thrive a nonprofit. I really want to get into schools and do Disability Awareness Week within schools and not just make it about the students, but have their parents come in. I want there to be conversations at the dinner table about what they learned and experiences with the speaker they heard that day and just open people's minds and hearts and get conversations going. It seems like a little bit what you're saying is there's, there is some strength for a person who's dealing with something in almost like hiding it, putting on a smile and going about your business, but it's Mm -hmm. not as strong as being able to open up about what's hard and then have a community of people surround and encourage you and even your, your own encouragement, right. Of of sort of really saying what, what it is you feel and think about Mm -hmm. this, this, whatever the challenge is, and then, you know, inviting people into that to be a part of of what's going forward, that that's even stronger and that it's mm-hmm. a little this transition, even culturally, not just for yes. people who have a disability, but for, for the communities to say, mm-hmm. how do we support each other better? How do we, you know, if those can share, people can share what they're struggling with, and then we can step into those things and, and be a part of it. That in, in some ways the sharing is a gift to everyone else too, to be able to yes. step into that and, and see the world through someone else's eyes a little bit mm-hmm. clearer than they could before. Absolutely. I, I want the feeling of feeling uncomfortable to be the new normal. Hmm. I don't want to make people feel rosy and happy and look, I, if I can do it, you can do it too. I don't, I actually don't want that. I hmm. want people to feel uncomfortable because it's when you feel uncomfortable that you break down your own barriers and you think outside of your own head a little bit. Hmm. So I don't, I don't want to be the feel good story. I want to, I want to bring about the stories that people are like, whoa, you know, like, but then they go home. It's those kind of stories that you go home and you really think about it. That's true. And you push yourself outside of your own little box. You know, that's what I want. (laughs) So cool. I'm going to share my, so, you know, a little bit of backstory. Lindsay and I live in the same neighborhood. And she has recently become friends with my wife at a kind of a Tuesday afternoon park meet play date, day. right? With all the kids. <laughs> so, so it was Maggie that kind of told me about you. And at first when she did, I was like, my first thought was, oh my gosh, we got to have her, we got to interview her. And then she said, I told her that 
you should, you might want to interview her. And I'm like, perfect. So as I was like, just contemplating, you know, your, your condition, I'm just going to be totally honest. This is the thing that popped into my head. And I just, I would love for you to kind of respond with kind of, I'm, I'm sharing with you kind of like my natural immediate response. And I'm curious how you respond to my response, which was Mm -hmm. like, well, that would be, that would suck. But then the next thought was, I'm like, but there are a lot of like great things like podcasts. And there's a lot of like audio entertainment. It does, that was my next thought. And then I'm like, well, that's, there's a lot of other things too. So I guess I'm getting at what is like the most frustrating thing about the way people kind of first interpret or process your, your situation. And like, even that one, are you like, that's the stupidest thing that you could ever like, respond with? I mean, like, I'm curious, just what is, what is your honest response? Yeah, yeah. yeah I know. <laughs> I guess it's fine. There are podcasts. At least she can listen to my show. Yeah, there's, there's podcasts. They don't need television. There's podcasts. Right. Um, and we but are my, lucky. There's lots of podcasts. <laughs> but to clarify, it's just like, oh, there's, there's a lot of audio entertainment out there, you yes. know, which is helpful, but it's also like, well, that's. I also write my next thought was, well, that's a pretty narrow view. But anyway, so I'm just curious, like, what is your, we better make a lot more episodes. That's right. Yes. Well, I, okay. I feel like responses like that are normal, Jake, honestly. I think for me, it's not even those responses. Like I actually really do respect and love it that you went, that you went there, that you went yeah. to something as, as innocent and wonderful as Oh, but wait a second. There are podcasts. I mean, really, I don't know many people that go there. So that's bravo to you because that's a different train of thought than most people would go to. I think for me, it's like when the people, when people hear it's that instant pause and then it's like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. That's, that's terrible. Oh, I, oh, I just, I hate it. It's that sympathy card, but it's like not true sympathy. It's they don't know what to say. And you know, in their head, they're like, it's, you know, all those maybe questions they're asking in their head. For me, like being a mom, it's like, oh, do should I leave my child with her if she can't see? You know, it's like, but it's that, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, that's terrible. I just want to punch him in the face. <laughs> I, I really do. Because <laughs> um, I'm like, what are you sorry about? Why are you sorry? <laughs> It's, it doesn't feel like yeah. a genuine empathetic. I'm yeah. sorry. It feels like, oh, I, do you, yeah. What do you think it is? Is Cause I mean, I could see like, I mean, and I had, you know, reading, reading your blog, it was like the same thought of like, oh my goodness, that's a, that's like a, a sentence in a way. Right. And, and yeah. I, I think that's my thought. And I, I guess if I'm trying to think about it, it's like, but yeah. the reality is we're all marching toward dying. And yes. so what is it that's like more present for people about, you know, your site than the march we're all on toward death? Do you, I mean, do you have a thought on that? Oh my gosh. I mean, even before death, we're all marching towards something like every one of us on this podcast yeah. has something internally you're dealing with. Yeah, absolutely. And it could be you are directly dealing with it or your spouses, but everyone's marching towards something and that's before death. And I, I mean, I understand that that's the first thing that people go to when you say something, it's I'm sorry, you know, but oh my gosh, like, wouldn't it be so refreshing if someone just said, well, that fucking sucks, you know, like, really? <laughs> right, you know? Right. like, Damn, that was like let's just call a spade a spade. Like, yeah. 
oh, you're losing your sight? That is just terrible. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it is. I'm not going to lie, you know, but I don't know. I just feel like people do not want to hear the I'm sorry's. They don't want to hear it. They don't want the the fake sympathy card. And I think that's what I'm talking about is being real of like, I, you know, I actually enjoy it when I, I am now very vocal. Mm. I will tell people when I first meet them, if they ask me a question and I'm like, oh no, I don't do that because I'm visually, I have a visual disability. I'm, I'm not able to do that. And they're like, oh really? Like, what, what do you have? I feel like the more upfront you are about things, the less you get that where it's, you know, but again, it's that feeling of being uncomfortable. That's why people are like, oh, they don't know what to say, which I understand. I don't, I don't expect people to know what to say because how could you know what to say? But, you know, just be conscious of not everyone wants to hear. I'm sorry. Does it it's feel like, like you're saying a- you're sorry. Like you're sentenced to death really is what it, yeah. it sounds like. As we all are. As we all are. <laughs> does it <laughs> feel like does it feel like it's a desire to retreat for almost like whatever just happened that exposed this thing that I don't know what to say about? I want to get away as fast as possible. Oh yeah. So I'm gonna say, oh, I'm sorry, that mm-hmm. sounds tough. Oh yeah, and then they like skid away. Like their shoulder, their shoulder goes up by their ear. Like they're mm-hmm. like instantly putting a guard around them as if they might catch it. You know, it's just it's really interesting. And I think the other thing too is oh god it's amazing to me it's like if you're anywhere and a child sees someone in a wheelchair or has a physical disability that you can visually see and the child with just their sweet innocent curiosity will say mommy daddy you know what's wrong with that person and the parent will be like oh oh let's just leave them alone you know, they just don't answer the question or they'll just say, oh, they're in a wheelchair, but let's walk away. Let's leave them alone. It's like you're teaching your child that mm. to be different is shameful. There's shame behind that. And Instead of encouraging them to be like, yeah, you know, I don't know what they have. And as a parent, read the situation and maybe go up with the child and, and ask the question, you know, because mm. most, of course, there are those people that are going to be mean about it. But I guarantee you more than not would love to have a conversation about it yeah. would love to engage in a conversation and not be like, you know, shunned in a whispery tone. In your situation, I think you would, people would understand if you just said, look, I don't know how long this is going to last. I feel a bit bad for myself. I'm just going to really do me for as long as I can, as long as I've got these, these eyeballs and they can see, I'm going to go look at everything I can look at. I'm going to watch all the Netflix I can you know, I'm going to see every 14er, top of every 14er, because I don't know how long this is going to last and I got to do it up while I can. There, it would be easy and I think natural for people to fall into some self-pity. And, and I'm curious how you were able to channel that into something so positive. And, and what was that journey like to, it, maybe you had none and, and, and it was like, whatever, screw it. I'm going to live life and I'm going to make it do good things for people. And that's that, but maybe it wasn't that clean either. I have never had big lulls of self-pity. Have I had my moments where I am extremely frustrated and I yell and curse and hit a wall? Yes, (laughs) I have definitely done that. But I, I have seen others live life with pity And I don't, I think by seeing that, I don't want that life for myself. So I have chosen because it is a choice. I have chosen to live with a positive attitude, to be 
real with my emotions, but at the end of the day, live life with a positive attitude. And I have to constantly remind myself that even when my sight does go, my life is not over. I can still climb those 14ers. I can still travel. I can still do all the things that a normal sighted person would do. Yes, my experience will be different, but damn it, I'm still going to do it, you know, because I can, because I'm still able to, and I'm not going to let this stop me. And I do think, you know, in I, my childhood sucked and I think it did kind of in this, in a way that I didn't know at the time, train me to be able to endure all the things that were to come. Can you, do you want to say a little bit about the childhood, the, the experiences that forged who you are now and, and some of that, like, I'm going to do it. I've, I've got to be tough. Yeah. So when I was eight years old, my parents got divorced, but it was probably one of the worst divorces Greenwood Village, Colorado has ever seen. And <laughs> no, it's true. And it lasted until my younger brother was 18. I mean, they were like, it was a battle royale to the death, really. And with my parents, it was not, they weren't fighting for us. They were fighting against each other constantly. So I had to grow up in a way very quickly. I had to, I had to learn early on that I had to look out for myself and not only myself, but my little brother, because I didn't want him to be the center of their fighting either. So I really just had to, and I think it trained me for being, having this, I guess, wallop and this emotional wallop for a long time, because I just had to get through it. I just had to put my head down and get through it and get through high school. And then I was like, and then I'm going to get the hell out of town and I'm never coming back. So I think that experience definitely shaped and helped me have the position I do and have the outlook I do. Because I did think, you know, if I can get through this, I can get through anything. Denver's really close to Greenwood Village. It is. <laughs> Denver is. I did. I came back. But you went to Eugene yeah. first. I remember. I went to Eugene. Yeah, no, I really didn't think. And the ironic thing is, is now I'm the only one here and my brothers all live out of the state, but I was the only one that moved away initially. So it is ironic. <laughs> You're actually... You live pretty close to where you grew up, too. I do. I live like 15 minutes away. <laughs> <laughs> so yes. That was my joke, Jake. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to get as far away from right. it as possible. And then I'm going to come right back. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious about uh, what did you radio DJ? I did a clear channel station in Oregon. That was top 40. Whoa. My radio DJ name was Lindsay Hart. All right. They made me change my last name. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And then I did some... Like E-A-R-T or A-R-T? H-A-R-T. Okay. And then I did some satellite work. I worked for Sirius for a little bit. And then I actually got hired to be the morning gal up in Sterling, Colorado. What? Really small Eastern town. That's where my mom grew up. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. So I got hired to be their morning gal and I went up there and I was like, oh, I had just moved back and I went up there to interview and I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't know. And the, the program director, his name was Ryan. 
All right. So many Ryans. <laughs> she uh, was like, I will take you under my wing. I will like teach you everything. Like my wife and I will will help take you like you'll be we'll, we'll help you out and I was like all right and then I had to I was like can I do this and then he called me two weeks later and said Lindsay don't take the job my wife and I are moving to Florida don't do it don't do it like run <laughs> run away quick <laughs> so I was wow. like okay I guess I'm not moving to Sterling so that, 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 ended that. turn of events I know and the funny that. thing is is Steve Burrell who's now the morning show guy for 93.3 he took the job that I turned down and is now a big time huh. DJ. So wow. there you go. What? I know. What would have been? Do you regret not going to Sterling? I don't know. I don't think so. I, you know, I kind of like the path, the crazy curves my life has taken me. Everything happens for a reason. I do believe that. So I maybe would have lasted two months in Sterling. Let's be honest. Uh, Finn did ask a question. I want to come back to it about like, what is, you know, what is like the process of Thrive? Like what it, what is it beyond or is it a blog currently like what are kind of some next steps with it i'm also curious like how do people uh, contribute to it like what's the process for that yeah well you'd be shocked i was really thinking that people would come to me wanting to share their story it turns out people do not like to share their story they don't want to be seen because there has been so much shame and embarrassment and negative connotations that they are scared or intimidated or so I have had a couple of people that have asked if they could share their story but mainly it's been me asking others to share their story so I started out with a couple friends that I knew that had MS and then my best friend's mom knew someone um, and I reached out to her and and she had um, lupus and Lyme disease and her story was amazing because people that had known her for, you know, 25, 30 years had no idea that she was sick, had no clue. And her, it was her blog post that she let people know that she had this condition. How do people find it? Are they looking for stories of people with disabilities or are they looking for something else? What do you hope they find when they get there? Do they subscribe? Yeah, they can. I would just love to hear sure, more. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's on the web. I when I do posts, I blast it on. I only do Facebook and Instagram, and then I, you know, advertise the stories via Facebook and Instagram. So basically, I pay money for more people to more uh, more of an audience to see it. And then I do have people that subscribe, but it's really been word of mouth. I'm hoping one day that it's, you know, not the case that it's a little bit more, I don't want to say mainstream, but that it's more known, but that is how it is right now is word of mouth. And I guess I want people when they come to it, I want them to feel comfort, whether they can directly relate or not. I feel like even if you don't have a disability or a health condition, there's always a part, every one of those stories, there's a part of their story that I feel like people can relate to. And you guys can correct me if I'm wrong since you read some of the stories. But I know, Jake, you were saying that you you felt like directly affected because of the things that you and Maggie have been through with postpartum stuff. And so I feel like, you know, whether or not you experience it directly, like you do, you do get a sense of understanding. There's a part of you that does want to understand. And so I hope they find comfort or that they learn something, or it just brings them a little bit more day-to-day -day awareness of their surroundings. How would you, how would you encourage us 
to read a story of someone dealing something we identify as more difficult than what Mm -hmm. we're dealing with? Is it to say like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize how good I have it. Is it to say, (laughs) oh my gosh, I feel terrible for how bad they have it. Or like, what's the way that we should react when we read a story that sounds like more? No, I think however you authentically react is the way you should react. I mean, no one wants to, you know, if it helps put your life in perspective, like if you're having a bad day because your car wouldn't start and your coffee spilled on you and it puts life into perspective, then fantastic. You know, <laughs> like, so be it. I don't think anyone's sharing their story so that you feel bad for them. That's actually, I think the last thing people want, but maybe it, you know, it would just open your eyes a little bit to be like, so that maybe the next time you meet someone and they tell you they have this, you just have a little bit more understanding of what they're going through. You know, you're a little bit more aware. Your eyes are open a little bit more. And hopefully that it makes you look at the world and the people around you a little bit differently. And maybe we should lean into whatever it makes makes us uncomfortable about yes, it. Yes, and lean into feeling uncomfortable. Yes, do not shy away from it. Lean into it. Absolutely. So I had some some kind of like closing questions. So two, two questions. What lifelong lessons do you want your kids to take away from your journey? Being a parent who has a limitation is actually in its own way a gift to your children because man, does it teach them to think outside the box, to be more thoughtful, to be more empathetic, and to instantly teach them that that everyone's different and that everyone has their own limitations. My older son, Kellen, you know, when we lived in downtown Denver, he was my city my city baby, we would ride the city buses together, we'd go all over town. And he is very aware that mommy cannot see well. And it's always really great to help. If I drop something and I it's blending in with the floor, he comes and helps me. If we're walking from a neighbor's house at night, he grabs onto my hand. I mean, it's the sweetest thing ever, but it's really teaching him, you know, even with kids at school, or even in his surroundings, he's noticing people that have some differences. And I always encourage, always, always him to ask questions, like never not ask a question. And he will, he's just very vocal and curious. And, you know, I feel like I'm raising two little men, open-minded, okay to have their feelings and be emotional men, which is, I feel is so important in this day and age. It's cool that they, they've got, some clear ways to be contributors to the family. Yes, it is cool. I mean, definitely, you know, there's give and take. Like I mourn the day that I won't be able to watch. He's my older son. It's big, big athlete, has amazing hand-eye coordination, could not be more different than me when it comes to vision. But I mourn the day I, I, you know, Ryan Finn, you were asking about, you know, things that I'm scared to miss out on. It's watching them that I, that's what I fear. That's what, that's what brings me to tears is not watching Kellen play baseball, maybe as close to high school. It's not watching Jacob, my youngest, you know, do the things that he's going to do. It's not going to be visually seeing that it'll be supporting. Of course, I'll always be a support, but it's going to be different. And it's those moments that I try to soak in the most. It's not the adventures or how much can I see it's I want to go to every single game that kid plays I don't want to miss out on one single thing because I know that when my vision goes or as it goes I'll still go but it's going to be a very different experience it won't be the same 
And that's, that's heartbreaking as a mom. I mean, there's definitely times when I get consumed with work and I'm looking at my phone or I'm looking at ESPN app for nonsense news that that's not important. And my kids are like, you know, it's like, I just, and I'm totally completely taking for granted the fact that like mm -hmm. they are at this age, which will not last. And yeah. I'm choosing to look at something that is very fleeting. And I'm sure you are probably much better. Well, that's not necessarily true, but I'm definitely more appreciative. Yeah. I'm definitely, I definitely, when I say hold on to, I don't mean like they can never grow up. I don't want them to leave the house, but I definitely am more yeah. appreciative and more, I guess, aware of these, of this fleeting time, if you will. My last question feels a little bit out of place. It's actually at the top of my list and I didn't, and I missed it. So I might have to insert it in another place or I just don't include it. I'm just kind of curious. I'm sure you've asked the question many times, like, why me? Like, why did this happen to me? I'm just curious how you've responded to that question, maybe initially, or where have you landed with that question? Yes, I feel like I haven't asked that question in a long time. I really think that, I really do believe the universe will give you what you can handle. And I feel like the universe gave me everything and more than I could handle. Like, I, I can handle this. I got this. And actually... At the end of the day, I'm grateful for it. I get emotional saying that. I just got tears because I actually really value my perspective on life. I feel like it's different and I feel like it is in its own way special. I value that I am able to give people a different perspective. And I value that I am able to be a part of a community full of just outright amazing people. That like I said before, I never would have gotten the gift of encountering if I didn't have this for myself. So while there are times where it really does suck and I do feel down and out about it, at the end of the day, I am grateful because it's given me a really different life experience that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. That's, cool. that's amazing. I think I'm going to leave that in. If that's cool. <laughs> yeah, <I'll> leave that. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. I'm sure the I'm sure the former DJ would advise you to keep in the powerful moments that yeah, you. keep in the powerful yeah. moments. Yeah. Yes. Can I add one more yeah. thing? Sure. I just really want to, if whoever is listening to this, really encourage you to, whether you can directly relate or not. But I think the goal for me is to really encourage you to be authentic with your own feelings and to not be afraid to share them and let people in because it is when you do that, that the biggest gifts come your way doing this, like doing thrive and opening myself up as scary as it was. And it's still in its own way continues to be, I would have not received the amazing gifts that I have been given because of it. And so I strongly encourage people to get uncomfortable. Kind of a phrase that hit me a couple of years ago when we were living in Seattle was embrace the tension. Mm -hmm. And that just more and more, I mean, it's kind of similar to what you're saying, which is just, you got to embrace it. You got to live with it and be comfortable with un being uncomfortable. And yes. that's an okay. And actually a lot of times a really good place to be. Yeah. That's a scary place for a lot of people. Yeah. They'd rather brush it under the rug and pretend everything's fine. But yeah, I think it's okay. It's okay to have 
information, data, experience coming in that you don't know where to put it yet, right? Yeah, it's okay for you to process. Yeah, it's like you don't have to have everything figured out in an hour. Like, even if it like doesn't hit you right away and two weeks later, you know, you're like, it hits you. That's a good thing. I just, I embrace every single one of those moments. I really do love making people feel uncomfortable. I felt very uncomfortable this whole interview. Um, so Good. I'm so yeah. glad, right? Yeah. <laughs> one thing I want to make sure we get into the end is just like all the places that you want people to find you. I know we've talked about the website and stuff, but we haven't said like yeah. what your Instagram is, what your website is. So website is thrivewithdisability.com. And then I have a Facebook page, Thrive With Disability, and Instagram is Thrive With Disability. It's all there. I am not on Twitter. I don't tweet. <laughs> and I am not on TikTok. <laughs> How do we find you on TikTok is my specific question. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that you ever will find me on TikTok. I have a hard enough oh. time keeping up with the social media. I mean, that's like the hardest thing, right? When you're trying to promote something, social media is such a big thing. And... I mean, I just, who, who has the time? That's like a full-time job in itself. But TikTok's really easy. All you have to do is find a good song, create <laughs> Do you have a TikTok account, Ryan? Do you, I do. Do you have a TikTok account? I do account? have a TikTok. What do you put on it? What do you put on it? You know, not- Do you dance? You know, dance videos. No. I might get on TikTok just to see it. <laughs> Technically, I haven't posted anything yet, but I will post something if you'll go Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> You have like an this. account, but you haven't posted. I'm working on choreographing my first video still. It's hard. Yeah. What's the first song going to be? What's the first song? Oh, this is boy. very telling. This is a very telling moment. This is telling. It's going to be this song right here. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be this. Oh, yeah. My heart will go on. <laughs> oh, wait. Are you are you closing? Is that right? No, now? I was just showing you what. Oh, okay. Do you guys have TikTok accounts? Is... Hell no. Okay. okay. No. I don't feel I did download it at a point, but then I was like, I don't know what's happening here. So I got rid of it. As a former DJ, you should give us some some tips on uh, how to do our how to do our pod better. Being a radio DJ is probably a little different than being a podcast host. So <laughs> I just said, next up is Nelly with It's Getting Hot in Here. I mean, you're listening to K Dog. It's a little different. <laughs> I love that song. That's such a good song. <laughs> that that ages me big time. No, I that's one of my favorites. That's a oldie but a goodie. So we do have we do have some standard questions we ask, like book recommendations. Okay. Oh no, I guess you remember Bear Town. Bear Town. Um, it's an amazing book. It's about hockey in Canada. Okay. The boys on the boat. Yep. Have you guys heard that's of that book? Uh, I've read it. That's a good one. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. Another one which is called The Red Tent very good too this has been this has been awesome like deepest gratitude and thanks for opening up um to three dudes <laughs> that you really don't know at all so thank you so much thank this you so really much for having awesome. me it was actually a lot of fun you guys are great yeah well thank you so much yeah 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 get that outro music mm -hmm. Thanks for listening to the interesting lives of normal people. If you like what you've heard, we'd really appreciate giving us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts and telling your friends. It really helps new people find us. Make sure to check out Lindsay's website at thrivewithdisability.com. And thanks again to Huga for letting us use her music in this episode. You can find more of her music on SoundCloud. SoundCloud.